Hello and welcome to a Karakitsu podcast. Today we'll be speaking with Dr. Adam Harcourt about his modern clinical neuroscience approach to treating patients suffering from migraines. If you would like to learn how to use clinical neuroscience to help your patients, please visit karakinstitute.com. Hello, Dr. Harcourt. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right. Awesome. Hey, Adam, thank you uh, very much for coming on here today. I really appreciate it. Um, this is exciting because we have, uh, I think, a, a topic that's going to, a lot of people have questions about. Um, so the reason we brought you on here is because we hear you have a lot of success with people that suffer from migraines. Uh, so we really yep. uh, re- appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. But before we get into that, you may be new to some of our audience. So, hey, can you tell us a, a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are and where you come from and how you got to this point? For sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really looking forward to, to talking about migraines just because I feel like uh, it's an area that we can just help people tremendously. And it's the uh, one of the six most debilitating things in the world. So there, there's no shortage of patients on the, this. But the six. Um, for wow. Six. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, I actually uh, come from a, a family of chiropractors. My, my dad and my uncles are chiropractors and still practicing. And they're running my grandpa's practice. And he started a practice because he couldn't work with my great-grandpa because they weren't giving out licenses at the time. So um, I come from a long line of, of chiropractors. But uh, when I got into school, I found uh, functional neurology. And, and that's kind of where, where my path has led me to, uh, to now. So I started uh, the neurology program about maybe seven, eight years ago. And mm-hmm. so I've been studying postgraduate uh, functional neurology for, for the last seven or eight years. Uh, recently, I've been uh, teaching for the Carrick Institute, so I've done that the last about two years, and I current ha- currently have a, a private practice functional neurology office in Santa Barbara, California, and we have myself and three other associates uh, that are wonderful that are practicing with us right now, uh, and we one of our we have three main focuses in migraines is, is the the majority of those patients that we see. So that's a little bit of the background on me, and um, I think I'm actually working on a migraine book right now too. So we, we have oh. lots of stuff in store coming up. So I'm pretty excited about that. Fantastic. Hey, so for those who have not had the opportunity or uh, uh, the blessed opportunity to be uh, led by Dr. Harcourt in a class, he is a highly recommended uh, faculty professor of neurology with us. I, I, I get to see some of the, um, the praise that you get after you teach. Everybody really, really loves you. And they say that you teach in a way that really resonates uh, with the scholars, so uh, for those oh, who have yeah, you guys have, have to catch him in action. He's really enjoyable, really easy to listen to, and you, and you leave with some really practical information that you could apply right away, which is what we try to deliver for everything. But what you can do it in a way that's kind of fun, which is what I hear about you. They're like, oh, he makes it really easy. I think that's incredible that you do such a great job. So this is why we yeah. brought you well, on the podcast. So, oh, well, so thank awesome. you. Well, it's mainly it's just because I, I think I had so much trouble learning in the beginning. I, I, I do my best to try to make it applicable because I feel like I have to go over the material a million times before I really start to get it. So hopefully our uh, uh, the students are getting it quicker than I did. Yeah, well, you know, that's actually what I try to deliver as well, right? I try to remember yeah. what it's like to not know everything that we know and then communicate to right. people on that level. We hear you do that well. Hey, I've also yeah. heard that your practice is doing amazing. Uh, you picked up all those extra doctors. So congratulations on that. I, I mean, Thank you're, you. defi- you're definitely earning uh, what you've achieved here. You, I, mean, I just hear nothing but amazing things all the way from uh, Amazing Santa Barbara, which which makes me want to visit because I hear it's paradise out there. Really. I'm very <laughs> jealous. You, you should, yeah, come by anytime. <laughs> all right, I'm going to put that on the calendar. Probably while it, well, it's still summer and beautiful out there. 
<laughs> hey, so listen, I'm going to ask you a very simple question first, because I think a lot of people uh, ask this question, especially patients. Uh, you know, if a patient has head pain and they're trying to differentiate between whether they're suffering from a headache or migraine, um, you know, what does that look like to the patient? And then from the clinician standpoint, how do we differentiate those? Can you kind of speak about the differences? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. And uh, one of the most frustrating things with migraines that I, I feel has people shy away from it is the fact that migraine is a entirely subjective diagnosis at this point. Uh, now, I think the, with the research, we're getting to a point where we can uh, do it a little bit more objectively, but right now it's, it's based on symptoms. So, um, we know that classically, the migraines are going to be more around the, the eye. Um, it's going to be more of an ipsilateral or unilateral type presentation. So uh, most migraines are going to be on one side of the face versus the other. Um, they have to last for uh, more than about three or four hours. And they have to also be accompanied by other symptoms. So things like photophobia, phonophobia, um, nausea, th things like that. So if it's just head pain, and it's say just in the back of the head and it just bothers you a little bit, um, you're thinking more tension headache, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if they have a recurrent type um, presentation and then they also get sensitivity to light, nausea, um, smell sensitivities, things like that, that's more of a migraine. Now, from my standpoint, I look at migraines as a primarily autonomic uh, dysfunction and that's what the literature is supporting. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, so for me, when I'm doing my exam, whether people say they have migraines or they don't, once we do the exam, we actually have a pretty good idea of, is it this pathophysiology of the dysfunction of the, the brainstem and the nervous system? Um, or is it more of a classic, uh, say, um, like tension type headache or uh, some other, like an occipital neuralgia or something like that? They're very, very different. And so, with, in, in my opinion, the way that we're seeing migraine affect the brain, we're going to get to a point where we can just do some functional imaging studies and know, yes, it is a migraine or no, it's not. So that's that's not available yet, but I think it's coming soon in the future. Hmm. Hey, yeah, you mentioned something that piqued my interest because I think this is something that you hear from people that are much more, uh, you know, clinical neuroscience man minded. You mentioned the autonomic nervous system. What were you getting mm -hmm. to there? Yeah, so here, here's the really interesting thing, and this is actually exciting. Um, from a functional neurology standpoint, when you look at the literature, I, I thought I was some genius, right? I was, I actually started out um, uh, specializing in, in MS patients. And um, when I was seeing a bunch of them, I noticed about half of them had migraines and half of them didn't. And when I started to look at all of my uh, examinations, I was finding, huh, the ones that have migraines, I'm seeing that their blood pressure maybe is a little bit higher on one side than the other, or their oxygen levels are a little bit lower on one side versus the other. They sweat a little bit more on one side versus the other. And all these things are indicative of a imbalance or a dysfunction with the autonomic nervous system. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I figured it out. You know, uh, we started doing some treatments, which we'll get into in a second about uh, addressing those areas of uh, different areas of the brainstem and autonomic system. And we were knocking out migraines. And I'm like, wow, I, I found the, the solution. And so I go to the literature and sure enough, tons and tons of papers on autonomic dysfunction and migraine. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And so, but the, the interesting thing about the literature is you'll read one paper and it'll say, you know what, it's dysfunction or it's overactivity of the sympathetic nervous system. And then you read the next paper and it's like, no, 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 it's underactivity of the sympathetics. And then you go to the next one, they're like, no, 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 it's totally parasympathetics. And so with 
our understanding and what I was trained in with uh, knowing how the autonomic system works, when you think classically about it, you think, oh, it's, it's got to be hypothalamic, right? Mm-hmm. But what we get to learn in, like, say, the autonomic modules and, and what I've learned from Dr. Carrick is, yes, there is areas in the brain that control the autonomic system, but then along the way down the neuraxis, you have different kind of waypoints and different um, controls of the autonomic system. For example, uh, the midbrain uh, helps to control the, the, the pontomedullary area. The pontomedullary area helps to inhibit um, the output of the thoracic sympathetics. And so if what I think they're seeing in the literature is that there's an overarching autonomic dysfunction, but because we know there can be aberrancies or problems at multiple different areas of the autonomic system, if you treat them all the same, you don't get the same results. Right. So mm-hmm. if you um, if you think it's just everything's, you know, pontomedullary, but in reality, that person has an autonomic dysfunction due to a mesencephalic lesion, you're going to get a different result um, with that person. So that was what was really exciting for me is is what we were seeing clinically was lining up with the literature. But then the understanding of the autonomic system was helping to explain why the literature is showing different differences in where they think the autonomic system is is aberrant so that's kind of the key to everything actually it's really exciting um so as clinical neuroscientists it's like it's it's a a golden day for us it's really really good hey listen i want to chime in because you said hey i I looked in the research and oh they already they already knew this and already already kind of had a written about it but here's the thing you got to remember there's a delay between the research and the application so if you're finding applications based off the research that's already been done then you're still ahead of the her- uh, the curve there Dr. well Harker. and that's Don't the worry. thing there there that's the that's the cool thing though is there was zero application for it so even though they found out about it um they still had no idea what to do with it and that's what was exciting is um where the stuff that we're uh, doing now is like we're actually teaming up with a, uh, a hospital system near us um, to start doing some research into the things that we're seeing clinically. So it's it, we got a lot of fun stuff going on. Awesome. Well, that, that, I mean, that is that is super exciting, actually. It's a pretty cool story. You kind of came to this place. So, hey, let me ask you then, because um, I know how you're trained and uh, how well you're trained. So if a patient comes in, they've been suffering uh, for migraines for a couple years and they've been to many doctors, uh, what are you doing that's different from, say, uh, any other clinician out there? What's your, I mean, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing, I'm sure other people would love to know what you're doing <laughs> for your physical, you know, for your examination process. Is that something you're kind of willing to tell us a little bit about? A little bit. Yeah, no, I, I definitely <laughs> be willing to share that actually. Awesome. Um, thank you. And, and so here's the thing, I'm going to explain it the way I explain it to patients and then we'll get a little bit more into the, the mechanics of it. Sure. But you, you want to think, so let's, uh, this is how I explain it to patients. We know that ultimately what causes the migraine, the pain that you have with migraine is dysfunction in the autonomic nervous system. And when it gets overwhelmed or it gets fatigued or whatever, it causes a migraine. That's the cause. That's what's happening. But there's multiple things that lead to the probability that that system will become overwhelmed or um, dysfunctional and lead to a migraine. And those um, common, there's three common triggers. The first one is going to be nutritional. So any type of allergy, anything that's inflammatory to the system, anything like that, nutritionally, that's one of the factors. Mm -hmm. The second one is musculoskeletal, which is why a lot of times you go see an acupuncturist or a chiropractor, a massage therapist, and you see an improvement in the migraines. Mm -hmm. It's not that it's the cause of the migraines, but it's one of the triggers that make you more probable to have a migraine, Mm -hmm. right? And then the third one is the whole stress hormonal system. And so we know that, uh, like... 
you know, for me, 75% of my uh, female patients, they get uh, flare-ups of their migraines at the beginning of their cycle. It's just, it's cyclical. And so we know that um, the hormonal imbalance can do it, but we also know that in migraineurs, and this is actually what we found just from running a ton of um, uh, stress panels, is that almost every single migraineur is in what classically we call adrenal fatigue, but we actually know that it's not the adrenals fatiguing, it's the whole HPA access. So mm-hmm. without getting into the nomenclature, it's essentially the stress system sucks is kind of where it's at. And so if any of those three factors, you can address them from different practitioners, right? Sometimes it's a chiropractor, sometimes it's a nutritionist, sometimes it's a, a naturopath. But what you're really doing is you're just, you're dampening all of the triggers, right? Mm-hmm. So what you want to imagine migraines as is like a little bucket, right? And so the bucket is your autonomic system, the, the health of your autonomic system. And the things that fill the bucket are your, your nutritional, hormonal, and musculoskeletal stressors, okay? When they fill the bucket and the bucket overflows or that system becomes overwhelmed, you get a migraine, okay? So if you have a ton of stressors coming in, you're gonna have a migraine quicker. The other thing is some people have really, really small buckets, so it takes almost nothing to cause a migraine. And then you have other ones that have huge buckets and they get a migraine twice a year, right? So those are all different factors. And the thing that influences the size of the the bucket essentially is how healthy that autonomic system is, right? So that's kind of the the long and short of how I describe it. But the what we're seeing, um, the, there's a great paper that just came out uh, like three or four months ago. It's, it's basically like another textbook on migraine, uh, but it goes over all the pathophysiology of it. And there's a ton, a ton of stuff behind it. But ultimately what it's saying is the pain associated with migraine comes from the, the, the parasympathetics, basically the, um, the superior salivatory ganglion um, gets information from dural areas, from trigeminal cerviconucleus, all this kind of stuff. And ultimately, when it becomes fatigued, it sends those signals to the trigeminal um, uh, nucleus, and that's what causes the actual pain uh, associated with migraine. So we know that it's autonomic. And so as you do things to stimulate those areas, like we learn in functional neurology, and make them healthier, that bucket gets bigger. So my whole treatment approach is limit the things that are going into the bucket and do everything you can to make that bucket bigger. That's it. That's kind of the the long and short of the entire process. Now, obviously, every single person is going to be different because different areas of of the bucket or of the brainstem can be dysfunctional. So you're going to have different therapies. But ultimately, you're going to address their nutritional complaints. You're going to find a way that you like to address their hormonal complaints. Uh, You know, most of us are are chiropractors, right? So we're we're, we love doing things to to help with uh, the musculoskeletal side. But I will make a comment that Mm -hmm. with the chiropractic adjustment, it's one of the most powerful inputs to the brain, right? And so for tension headaches, for uh, migraines that are relatively stable, the adjustment can knock out a headache or make it way, way better. But if you do a, an adjustment, which is a huge stimulus to somebody that has a really small bucket, um, it's too much stimulation. It can lead to a migraine, right? Which, which nobody wants to hear <laughs> as a chiropractor, right? Um, but I, I see it time and time again. And so these people become, you know, scared of chiropractors or worried about it. And I, and I reassure them, I say, look, it's a great therapy and we're going to try to get back there. It's just too much of a good therapy at once. Right. And so that's where I like to use different techniques and I'll use low force or, um, instrument assisted or or things that are still stimulating those areas of, of the brain, but not with quite so much, um, intensity. And then as they get healthier and I can say, do a, a big old, nice cervical adjustment and they feel great. 
I know that that system is doing fantastic. Right. So, so um, it's th it's a graded is, scale. This is I'm loving this. So one of the things that you said that really piqued my interest is one your 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 uh, the way you communicate with your parents and use that bucket metaphor. I think is beautiful. It actually. Um, we're, uh, we're rewriting the pain module, and there's a similar metaphor that we're using in regards to the, uh, the neural threat ma the matrix, a new way of looking at pain. It's a similar, a similar model awesome. when you kind of exceed the person's capacity uh, for the stressors, uh, kind of like we were saying, then, you, then the person easier experiences pain or, in your case, migraine. So that's, that's a very similar model, and I think in line with kind of like with the current literature. What I think was also that's neat awesome. is that you also included uh, genotypic uh, individuality, right? Because uh, one person yep. can just handle more than another person, and that's just uh, the, the cards you're dealt. But you can still Correct. do well with the cards you're huge, dealt. Huge, huge stuff. Huge, huge stuff. And that's the other interesting thing is say you find autonomic dysfunction <coughs> – <clears throat> but there's no genetic component, for example. Those people don't have migraines, right? You mm -hmm. have to have a genetic component. But the other thing to it is I found out that as far as treatment goes, I can pretty much predict <clears throat> excuse me, how well a patient's going to do based on their reported number of migraines per month, mm -hmm. right? So what I found is if people are having less than about four to eight migraines a month, there's a good probability that I'm going to get them to none. Right. They might have one once a year when they go out partying and don't sleep for a while. Right. Sure. Um, but if I, you know, because we've become known for this, uh, most of our patients coming in are having, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 migraines a month, you know, wow. debilitated type stuff. Wow. And with those people, I, I sit them down. I'm, I'm realistic with them. I say, look, your bucket is tiny. Right. <laughs> it's the smallest thing ever. So even though we're going to decrease all this, you're still going to get some flare ups here and there. But my goal for those patients is to get them to a point where they're only having between two to four migraines a month, which is pretty consistent. Um, and so then they can take the medications that they were taking on a daily basis um, sporadically. So they only need them for the emergency situations yeah. and they can have a normal life. Because that's, th that's okay. the big problem is it, they're given these meds every day and they're great as an abortive in the, the rare case that they have migraines. But when you take it every day, you got the rebound effects, you got the hangover effect. I mean, it's just it's a miserable way to live. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's awful. I, I am stunned. Uh, listen, I'll, in you know, an effort of full disclosure, I don't. I can probably count on both hands how many times I've ever had any type of head pain, uh, let alone a migraine. I don't think I ever really have. But to hear you come up with some of these numbers in regards to how bad people are suffering is like blowing me away. I mean, I just couldn't imagine crazy. living like that, especially since no, when, it's, I, when you see somebody with a migraine, they look miserable, like really oh, suffering. Oh. It's the worst. And, and the crazy part is it, it's like a concussion, right? Um, you get a concussion and, and everybody looks at you, they're like, ah, you look fine. Like, get back out there, right? They're, right, they're missing right. the whole point. And with migraines, a lot of times, you know, they've been to all the doctors and they've seen everybody that says, yeah, your MRIs are clean, your blood would work good. You're, you're fine. Just take the meds until you get better. And it's so debilitating. A lot of these people have to stop work or they can't take care of their kids or, I mean, it's, it's bad. That's and uh, the, the frustrating thing for them is there's no pathology there's no uh, overt you know pathology yeah, they look just and like so everybody else exactly and that's where um for what we do we're we're really kind of the the best line of defense um for these people and i always tell them i say look because they're always mad at their neurologist or they're mad at whatever i said look they did their job right they made sure you don't have a tumor you don't have you're not having a stroke right, you know right. you don't have anything crazy so they did their job the problem is they didn't know we existed so we've actually made a very very concerted effort um, to connect with and work with all the neurologists in town 
um, to the point where we're now getting referrals for concussions and migraines and things like that um, once the neurologists have ruled out all the, the pathology. So it's, it's a great thing because I'll tell you right now, those neurologists are just as frustrated as we are because they're like, dude, once we roll out all these um, you know, pathologies, we just give them Imitrex or Topamax or Relpax or whatever it is, um, and that's it. And so they just they wish they had somewhere else to go. So sure. well, um, I think the, the way you're describing is really the way it should be, right? I mean, everybody kind of has their place in healthcare, and you guys, exactly. you know, put them in the appropriate place, make the appropriate referral. So that's awesome. Exactly. And it's, it's good that you're doing a good job communicating with all these other physicians in the area. You're doing it right, Dr. Harcourt. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, so listen, I'm going to dig deeper, though. So you told me how you kind of communicate with your patients, but now to the clinicians that are listening to this podcast, you got to spill the beans, man. I want to hear a little bit. Uh, what's this exam look like? What are you doing that maybe uh, I wouldn't do, right? Okay. <clears throat> so great question. So, I mean, first thing, obviously, I, I do a full neurological exam. So just so you guys know, um, when people come in, um, even with just, you know, classic back pain or neck pain or whatever, uh, we do a, a full neuro exam just to make sure we're ruling everything out, right? Because if I do a neuro exam and everything looks awesome and they just have back pain, phew, I know that adjusting them is going to change their lives, right? Whereas if I see they have neck pain, but they got all sorts of eye movement disorders and uh, they can't stand up straight, I know I can adjust them till the cows come home, but because they have a, a balance issue, there's a good chance that that's going to perpetuate, right? So mm -hmm. um, when they come in, the first thing that we do, which is super important for, um, for migraines, is take bilateral blood pressure, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know that obviously blood pressure is determined um, by the cardiac output, which you only have one heart, so that it can only be one, one source, but it's also total peripheral resistance. So it's how tight your blood vessels are on each side, and that's controlled um, by either side of the body, right? So your blood pressure should be a couple points higher on the left, just because of the way the aorta comes out. Um, so a normal blood pressure would be two, three, four, or five points higher on the left side. That's normal. Mm -hmm. um, with most of these migraine patients, when you do their, their blood pressure, you'll see, first of all, the right side's higher, which shouldn't be at all. And then you'll see it's like five, six, ten points higher, um, which is, <clears throat> before I start the exam, that's the first thing I ask. I say, how's the blood pressure? And then how's the oxygen levels? So we'll put them on a, a pulse oximeter, and we would expect their, their levels to be at 99 or 100. And if they're not, uh, and they're down pretty low, and that correlates with the side of blood pressure dysfunction, I got two objective findings that already tell me they got something going on, right? We don't know where it's at. We don't know why it's causing it. We just know it's there. Right. <clears throat> so before you ever start, I mean, it's, it's great. Now, with bilateral blood pressure, that's one thing actually we're looking at doing uh, research on is trying to figure out the best way to do it and blah, blah, blah. But the best way I've found to do it, <clears throat> sorry, I should have got water before I started. I totally forgot. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the way that we like to do it is we have uh, automatic cuffs and we put them on each arm and then we just start them right at the same time. Right. So that way the body uh, doesn't have time to adapt to like take it on one side and take it on the other. Um, if you do it that way, you got to wait at least five or 10 minutes in between. And in my opinion, it probably changed a little bit anyway. Um, so I like to do them both at the exact same time. Sure. Um, so that's, so that's the beginning. Then during the, the exam, I'm looking at all the different areas that can control, um, autonomics that I can see. Right. So, um, I look at sweating, right. I look at reperfusion. So I, you know, I'll squeeze their fingers and see how long it takes for blood to get back in either side. Um, I'll look at, uh, pupillary responses, right? Because that goes back into the midbrain, which is, a, a one of the areas that can control it. 
I'll look at vergence, right? Because again, that's in the midbrain. Uh, then I look to look, like to look at different eye movements, right? Pursuits and saccades, because again, same different area. Then we also look to look at the palate, right? Because when somebody opens their mouth and says, it says, ah, you should see that the palate raises equally. If it's if it's falling or it's if it's uh, paretic, as we call it, on the same side as the blood pressure being higher and the oxygen being lower and all this stuff, you're starting to see a pattern, right? Mm-hmm. You're starting to, to nail in the idea um, that you want to look at. The other cool thing is with eye movements, you have um, up and down eye movements, right, that are more in the midbrain. And then you have... Um, the horizontal movements that are controlled by the, the neural integrator, which is more down in the, the pontomedullary area. Um, so again, it's another indication of, is it mesencephalic? Is it uh, pontomedullary? Comparison uh, of the vertical versus horizontal eye movements. And how are you assessing those? I know you could do it bedside manner. Do you go any deeper with that? So I, me personally, I don't. Um, I, cause I can, I mean, it's the same thing with concussion. I can look at, um, you know, the way your eyes move and, and tell you if you, you hit your head, right? Um, now, the ideal situation, if you want to go from the objective standpoint, is to have like a VOG or a VNG or something like that, where you mm-hmm. can actually objectively measure the eye movements. Sure. Um, but for migraine, the nice thing is you don't technically need that stuff. Um, and so you can just see from the, the exam. Now, that being said, that's me saying this after I've looked at hundreds and probably thousands of these eye movements. Right, so, right. I mean, um, hey, doc, Dr. Carrick <laughs> does it the same way, right? With his with his thumbs and, oh, and his eyes. But it's uh, crazy. Tons I'm of still experience. I'm still trying to figure out how he says see some of this stuff. But um, you know, from from just a bedside manner, it, it, it helps you narrow it down, right? Because if you don't if you don't see a consistent uh, pattern, it's kind of hard to say that they definitely have dysfunction or not. You really you can't go off one finding. So we do that. Um, and then I also like to look at some cerebellar findings like Romberg's and gait and stuff like that. Um, and then we just put it all together. Like, what are we seeing? Is is there dysfunction to, to begin with? Mm-hmm. If there is, is it more mesencephalic? Is it more pontomedullary? Um, and if it is, what t- tools would make the most sense to rehab those areas, right? Because, um, like, say you think it's, it's pontomedullary, but you think that there's a, a dysfunction there because the cerebellum on the same side isn't firing in quite as well, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's going to be one type of therapy. Well, if you think it's, it could be because the frontal lobe on the same side is not firing down enough and causing dysfunction, that's a totally different therapy, even from an adjusting standpoint, right? So um, those types of things all come into consideration. So a lot of our migraine treatments look similar, but they're all very customized. Um, and I've actually done it where I like, do the wrong side or I, I'm like, ah, it's probably fine. And it, dude, it totally screws them up. So, um, it's something that you really have to, to pay attention to. So it sounds um, like, so it sounds like everybody that comes to you really comes out with a, like a really individualized, individualized solution because of how different every to. case can present. Yeah, you have to, there, I mean, there's no other way. Yeah. I'm just hearing your name off all the different parts of the brain, all the different areas you're checking. I'm going, wow. I mean, you're really, I mean, obviously you're being thorough because it's an ethical thing to do, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you really can see dysfunction, you know, at X, Y, or Z and have the end result be a migraine. Right, exactly. Um, and so it's, it makes it really fun, actually, because you know that you have an idea of what's going on, but you don't know for sure how you're going to treat each patient. Um, and same thing with like the hormonal protocols that we do. It's like, I have an idea of what's going to go on, but until we get the testing back, um, I I don't know for sure. So everything's a little bit different. And then the hormonal side is so different. Like if they're on birth control, it's a thing. If they're on, I mean, there's just, there, there's a lot of little pieces to the puzzle. I'm just trying to, trying to give everybody like a nice framework to start kind of experimenting themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, this is fantastic. So I, I love this model that you have because to me it, it seems like a more modern model model for helping these types of patients that suffer from migraines. Um, do you have any examples of what this process looks like from the patient perspective? Sure. Um, so, like a, a good example, I had a I had a patient um, not too long ago. She she was one of those ones that was up about twenty five migraines wow. a month. Um, and, and the crazy part was she didn't come to me for migraines, <laughs> which was pretty funny. Um, so this actually incorporates, uh, some of the other stuff we do, uh, with vestibular rehab is she came to me, um, from a whiplash accident and she had had whiplash, uh, about three months prior and had done physical therapy and I, I think some chiropractic, um, mm-hmm. and it, it did improve, right? It, it didn't stay the same, but, uh, she had this chronic one-sided neck pain. It was really, really tight. And so, uh, one of the interesting things about migraine is there's a subset of migraine called vestibular migraine. Mm-hmm. Um, but based on what I see clinically, I think vestibular migraine, I think almost everybody that has migraine has a vestibular imbalance. It's just the ones that are severe end up getting classified as vestibular migraine. Um, everybody else, it's subclinical and we can pick it up. Now, again, that's just my total opinion. Um, well, I have nothing to back that up, but just well, uh, a lot. The, I, mean, uh, I think you do have something to back that up. And I think I've read some research well, indicating, I mean, between the vestibular system uh, with the autonomic integration and blood flow in the brain. Oh, I mean, that's in the literature absolutely. very clearly defined. Oh, absolutely. There, there's literature for the, the vestibular part of it. Um, but in my opinion, the fact that they classify vestibular migraine as a different thing than migraine, right, I think it's right, more of right. a continuum, honestly. Yeah. But anyway, that's, that's, that's semantics. Right. That's um, awesome. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, we saw that uh, she had this vestibular imbalance on one side, um, which again has a big part in migraines. And when we, we were doing her intake, she told me about her migraines and everything. So um, sure enough, the treatment that we had to do for her neck pain um, was part of the treatment that we had to do for migraine anyway, right? Because mm-hmm. it was um, working on that, that, that uh, vestibular nuclei. And so for her, I said, look, you know, we can probably do good things for this migraine. Let's, you know, address the hormonal and the nutritional component because we're already going to be addressing the neurological and the musculoskeletal component. She says, great. And so uh, within about three or four weeks, actually, she went down from 25 migraines a month to between two and four. And the ones that she had, uh, she's like, yeah, they were manageable. I didn't even have to take anything. I felt fine. Um, You know, it just, it was there and it was fine. And her one of her big thing, and also her neck pain went away, which was nice. Um, but the the thing that was frustrating for her is the thing that exacerbated uh, her headaches was exercise, and she was a little she was overweight, um, so it was very very frustrating. And so by that second month, um, sure enough, I run into her at, at you know the grocery store, and she's in workout stuff, and she's like, "Yeah, I joined, you know, like I forget it was one of those workout studios, and she's in a workout, you know, full force with uh, with no recurrence." So. Um, she was a good kind of combination of everything because she had the musculoskeletal dis- dysfunction that wasn't just from muscle. It was from the brainstem, but that was causing this, uh, inflammation or this, uh, agitation of the, the brainstem. And at the same time, she had these nutritional deficiencies and the hormones were all over the place. And so we just kind of fixed all that. And sure enough, it stabilized her, her bucket, as you will, mm-hmm. uh, got a little bit bigger and uh, she was able to get back to normal. So that was almost two years ago, and she's stayed about the same. Um, that's awesome, beautiful, uh, love it. And you gave her her life back, that's incredible. Yeah, that's the best part, man, because these, I'll tell you, it's the toughest thing about this is when you start seeing the 20 to 25 a week, uh, monthers, um, 
it's not uncommon for them to be like, well, this is kind of my last stop, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's tough to, to try to say, well, you know, let me, let me try to do this one thing for six months and cross our fingers. It's like, it's nice to say, look, here's what should happen. Um, we're going to monitor it. Here's what we expect to happen. Now, obviously do we get a hundred percent with every patient? No, that's crazy. Um, but I, can very very strongly say there's i can think of one patient in the last four years where we didn't see at least a significant improvement um and the reason i can remember that one is because it doesn't happen very often um it actually <laughs> happens once <laughs> and uh that actually led us to another discovery which is where anxiety um because of the whole stress hormonal component anxiety contributes tremendously to migraine and it, that's a whole nother um another avenue actually i'm gonna to have to dive into because that's the one that i had trouble with was a severe severe case of anxiety um hmm. so yeah i mean it's like i said it's not perfect but i can think of one person that did not have significant improvement that's it i, th I think your batting average is still pretty good dr harker you're doing all right <laughs> it's it's not it's not perfect but it's you know we're, we're trying our best i'd pick you for my team let's put it that way <laughs> well, well that's awesome hey, hey listen i know i know you uh i i, I don't want to take up all your day but this is really awesome thank you very much for sharing um, about how you work with uh, migraine patients and just and just understanding your perspective on it and how you have so much success. I think it's going to be really valuable to all the clinicians and scholars who, who download this podcast every month. So thank you very, very much. I, it, yeah, no, I hope so. Because like I said, there's, there's millions and millions of people, I think over 30 million people um, in the U.S. alone that have this. And it's like, I mean, I want to be busy, but I don't want to be that busy. Uh, <laughs> right, so right. The, the, the more we can get this out and establish... Uh, what we do as, as a great, you know, solution to these problems. I mean, you're just going to save people literally decades of suffering. Um, it's, it, yeah, it, it can't, it couldn't be more uh, important to these people. Hey, Dr. Harcourt, uh, if people wanted to learn more about you or, or learn more about your practice, where can they, where can they find you? Yeah, so we're out in Santa Barbara. Uh, easiest place is just look on our website. Uh, it's just ixneuro.com uh, for Imagine X Functional Neurology. Um, just go on the website. We have tons of info, and yeah, I think there's even a way to, to get a hold of me if, if they need anything. Oh, that's great. Hey, and last question before I let you go, because I know you're in Santa Barbara uh, Paradise. Uh, are you at the beach right now? Uh, can you hear the waves? Yeah, I think I can hear the waves in the background. If you're at the, you know, I'm in sitting here in an office slaving away and, and, and you're, you're at the beach, man, I, I really do got to come visit. I just hear nothing but the I, best things about your practice out there. Yeah, admittedly, I, I am on the beach, but that's only because, I mean, if you got to walk around for an hour and be at the beach. <laughs> you're a lucky guy. Well, you deserve it. Thank you again, Dr. Harcourt. <laughs> I enjoyed speaking with you and I think our clinicians are going to love it as well. So thank you. And until next time, my friend. All right. Thanks, Freddy. All right. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to make any suggestions for any future podcast topics, please visit the Contact Us page on carrickinstitute.com.